Verse 23, by faith. Now we're moving to a new section. Now we're moving to a section where the focus here is still on the invisible, still on the perseverance, but now that they are getting the promises because of their faith. They're finally seeing the promises, not just because of their faith, but because of the faith of their forefathers. A lot of us can have probably many stories that were only here because of the people who came before us. By faith, when Moses was born, his parents hid him for three months because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, when he grew up, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. He regarded abuse, suffered for Christ, to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for his eyes were fixed on the reward. Now, by faith... Now it starts, this is interesting. This is the first place that it doesn't start with like a great person we typically think of. It starts with Moses' parents. And by faith, Moses' parents, who are named in the Bible, but they're not really like lifted up as these, I mean, they get like one verse. By faith, they trust a God. Now here's what's interesting. It says the child was beautiful. Most likely, the, the best understanding of this translation is that there was something about his face that gave evidence that God had chosen him. The word beautiful is not a physical kind of beauty. The word beautiful here is more of a God found favor upon him. And what's interesting is that this beautiful face kind of thing, the next time you see it in Moses' life is when it's God says, Moses is unlike any other of my servants. I talk to him face to face. And Moses' face shines with the glory of God in Exodus 34. And so that's rooting you back into the parents looked at his face and saw it was beautiful. The idea is not a physical beauty, but rather that there was something about Moses that when they looked at him, something about the way he looked said, God has put his hand on Moses. And maybe it could be the fact that we're 400 years later and probably every mother at this point is hoping that their kid is going to be the deliverer. Okay? Because God is always using deliverers with His people and so maybe my kid is the new Abraham. I don't know. But something made them risk Pharaoh killing them in a horrible way in order to put Moses in the river. And what's really cool is not only is Moses put in the river, actually the mother, the parents obey the Pharaoh's edict. Pharaoh says throw him in the river. This is exactly what mom and dad do. Pharaoh never said anything about a basket. Okay? And so they make good lawyers. Um, but the Hebrew word used of the basket is the word ark. And just like Noah's family were placed in the ark to be saved from the water of destruction, Noah was placed, sorry, Moses was placed in the ark in order to be saved from the waters of destruction. And so there's these ties being connected there, that this is the second deliverance through water. By faith, they refuse to be afraid of what the world could do to them, because whatever the world could do to them was nothing compared to what God had offered them. By faith, he decided to be seen with his people willing to suffer. This is the new theme too. Now we're talking about people who are being persecuted at the hands of the enemies. He would rather have been identified with slaves who are being mistreated than all the glories and the riches and the materialism of the world. 
Now what's interesting is when you read the Moses story, it doesn't quite view that way. Moses actually tries to deliver his people through his own actions. And he does it by taking matters in his own hands and killing the person. And his people reject him and he says, well, that didn't work, forget that. And he runs away from his people. And you're like, where's the faith? And then 40 years later, God comes into the burning bush and says, let my people go. And Moses says, who are you? And why should I trust you? Where have you been for 400 years? What kind of character you are? They're not going to listen to me or listen to you. You haven't been around for a while. And oh, by the way, I'm not going to do it. You find somebody else. You're like, that's faith? And the author says, yeah. Because he's not a spiritual giant at that moment. But what he did say was this. I could be with my people in Egypt in luxury and power, or I could be with my true people in slavery. There's something about his people that was more attractive than everything that Egypt could offer. And he may have not been this amazing, spiritual, committed to God kind of a thing, but even in that elementary, infantile faith, he had enough to please God. He had enough to please God. And that's all that God cared about. Because he took a first step. I remember complaining like, oh, I really was chapel and all that kind of stuff and these people go forward and you see them the next Sunday going to the altar and going forward, rededicating their life to Christ. They go forward and, they, and I'm the kind of person who's like, if you're going to make, make a commitment, like just, and I know none of us are perfect and I can list all my sins. But at the same time, like, if you're going to rededicate your life, honor it. And if you're going to keep doing it every week, then maybe you should stop rededicating your life until you really mean it. That's kind of how I felt. Then Buzz made a really, if you know Buzz Zimboden, um, he made a really good point. He said, but at least they're responding to the Spirit. They could sit there and just ignore the voice. But they responded. And no, there's not been a lot of growth. And it's not like they're amazing. And they keep doing it. But he says, kind of like a rubber band, no matter how many times you stretch a rubber band, eventually if you stretch it so many times, it never goes back to its original position. And you may want this rededication that stretches and stays, but maybe their rededications involve just multiple stretchings until they stay. But at least they're responding to the Spirit. And I was like, felt this big. But that's the thing. Moses did not start off that this is an amazing spiritual giant. And we wouldn't immediately say, that's not faith. The author of Hebrews doesn't know what he's talking about. And God says, yeah, but he gave up the palace. And that was something. Because all faith starts somewhere. And that pleased me. Just like none of my daughters are going to be these amazing women overnight. It just starts with this Natasha without being motivated just goes and helps Cassidy on her own. And we didn't have to tell her to do that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And yet, that's not where I want her to stay. But at the same time, I am so satisfied with that at that moment. And that's how God is. If that's true of us as sinners, then how much more is that true of a perfect God? And that's what Moses had. Don't beat yourself up because you haven't become a spiritual Billy Graham overnight. I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And that's what you look at. That's not amazing faith, but I did it. I responded. At the same time, don't let that go to your head, too. Like, oh yeah, that's good. I'm responding to the Spirit of God. And then it starts puffing you up. Because that's just how we are. So, he goes on. He regarded this abuse suffered for Christ. And like, he didn't know about Christ. 
But the idea was, what is everything in the First Testament foreshadowing? Christ. And so whatever he's placing his faith in in the First Testament is ultimately going to lead to Christ. So in a way, he is suffering on the account of Christ. Because the prophecies are leading to Christ. Therefore, if you're suffering for the promises of, that lead to Christ, then you are suffering on Christ's account. And that's the connection he's making. Look, they don't know who Christ is, but by placing their faith in God and the promises that will eventually lead to Christ, then in a way they have placed their faith in Christ. And therefore they are suffering for Christ's sake. And that's very, very important, especially when you understand that it was not salvation by works under the law in the First Testament, and then God changed His mind and it became about grace, like some Christians teach, because they don't know what to do with the law. It's always been salvation by faith, and it's always been salvation in Christ. Because if you believe in the promises of God, that ultimately lead to Christ. And if Christ is the fulfillment of the promises and Christ is God, then it's as if you had faith in Christ in the First Testament, even though you didn't know the word Jesus Christ, or words. Jesus Christ. By faith, verse 27, he left Egypt without fearing the king's anger, for he preserved as though he could, persevered as though he could see the one that is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of the blood, so the one who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. That's an incredible amount of faith. God tells you to kill an animal, put his blood on a doorpost, and your kid's not going to die. Really? Where'd you come up with that one? I mean, and then in hindsight, oh my gosh, that's so Jesus Christ, and it makes total sense. But can you imagine being the Jew at that time? You've just watched Egypt destroyed over an 11-month period and nine plagues. And God says, I'm going to wipe them all out now. And the only thing that stops it is blood. That's not much of a force field. And yet, by faith, Moses believed. Now, that's what's really amazing Because 11 months ago, Moses was like, forget you, not doing it, find somebody else. 11 months later, Abraham says, if God says blood will save us, blood will save us. Let's do it. That's a lot of growth. Because I think 10 plagues would convince you. It didn't convince everybody. So that the one who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they crossed the Red Sea as if on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried it, they were swallowed up. Now, I know it would be really cool to see the Red Sea parted, but can you imagine walking through the Red Sea with that big wall of water on you and believing that it's not going to fall down on you? I mean, yeah, it's pretty amazing that God parted it, but that doesn't guarantee that it's going to stay like that as you're slowly dragging all your animals and your kids. I mean, come on, it's just like trying to get your kids out the front door, and now you've got to cross to the dry land. And yet they believed. They believed. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people marched around them for seven days. Now, this is like the biggest lesson. So a bunch of terrorists come in, and they take the nationwide building downtown. And they take a whole bunch of hostages. And the FBI gets on the news, and the FBI, National Guard, SWAT, everybody's there. Cops are there. And the media's all there because they just like pain and suffering for ratings. So they're all watching it. And all of a sudden, the head of the FBI, Mr. Johnson, Agent Johnson, gets up on the television and he says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to walk around nationwide one time every single day. And on the seventh day, we're going to shoot our guns in the air, yell, and blow our air horns and our horns and our sirens as loud as we can. And nationwide buildings are going to completely fall. Everybody's going to die, except the hostages are all going to be alive. And every single American, including all of you Christians, would say, fire him. 
right? What's he smoking? And God says that to Joshua, and they say, we'll do it. And the walls come down. And you think, why did God come up with that? And you know why God came up with that? Because it's stupid. <laughs> now, that's not to be blasphemous towards God. The idea, the more stupid and ridiculous it is, when it works, then only God can get the credit. Sometimes God has you do irrational, illogical things just so that there's no scientific, physical explanation for why this was able to work other than God. God's not always logical. Because in His illogicalness, it actually ends up being logical. Does that make sense? That's faith. That's faith. I mean, can you imagine Rahab? If I were Rahab, I was like... How about I just get out of this city? <laughs> but they say, stay in the city and everything's going to collapse except for your room. If it were me, I was like, I trust God, but I'm leaving the city. It worked for a lot in his family. I'm doing it. But she stays in the city, believing that only her house. That's faith in the unseen, in the ridiculous. They marched around. That's who he goes. By Ahab, the prostitute escaped from destruction, the disobedient, because she welcomed the spies in peace. This is faith. This is faith. If God says it, you believe. Why? Because He's proven Himself. If they can do this with a couple books under their belt, imagine what we can do with 66 books of the Bible the Holy Spirit living inside of us, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and thousands of years more of church history. And what's our excuse? 